hundred bad days made a hundred good stories. A hundred good stories make me interesting at parties. A hundred bad days made a hundred good stories. A hundred good stories make me interesting at parties. Cure with Amy Cabo. Life can bring many difficult situations, domestic violence, addictions, poverty, and even sexual abuse by your loved ones. Welcome Amy Cabo and The Cure. I'm your host, Amy Cabo, and this is The Cure. We're live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can listen to us live on the radio or live on our app, The Cure. Please download it from the App Store. Or live now on Roku, the Cure Channel, or live on Fire TV, or on Druid TV, or GodIsTheCure.com, or later listen to the recorded shows via any podcast app. I'm also joined by Dr. Boris Nikolov, who is my partner at work and in life. Hello. <laughs> this show deals with suffering, challenges of life, and the tenacity of the human spirit the will to survive, and the courage to keep moving forward despite any obstacle with the help of God and each other. We do provide testimonials to let people know that they're not alone, and in this show, the testimony started with me, having been a survivor from child abuse well into young adulthood. We also have professionals in the medical field and inspirational speakers that are willing to help and give valuable information because education is key, transparency is needed, and I believe we can help each other. For me, my healing came from God, but other forms of healing are presented as well to service everyone. Life can be very challenging, but always know that we're not alone. A hundred bad days make a hundred good stories, it's just as it sounds. Even the bad times can make for good stories, and I've noticed in life, everything has turned out as it should. Everything has happened for a reason and with a great purpose, according to God's gracious will. Basically, make the best of it, even if it takes a hundred bad days, and don't be scared of it anymore, whether it's your depression or evil or whatever it may be. Today, I wanted to speak about recovery from sexual abuse. And today's special guest is Rachel Grant. Rachel Grant is the owner and founder of Rachel Grant Coaching and is a sexual abuse recovery coach. She's also the author of Beyond Surviving, The Final Stage in Recovering from Sexual Abuse. Rachel works, Rachel, that is, <laughs> works with survivors of childhood sexual abuse who are beyond sick and tired of feeling broken, unfixable, and burdened by the past. Rachel helps them let go of the pain of abuse and finally feel normal. Rachel, thank you for being on the show. Oh, Amy, Morris, it's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much, Rachel, for your very valuable work. Unfortunately, sexually abuse is still very common, and many times people don't want to speak about it, especially if it's long-term sexual abuse. As it stands, every 92 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted, and every nine minutes, that victim is a child. 
Those that survive are left to several stages of recovery. Rachel, first can you explain to us the stages of recovery? I know that it took me a long time and still I'm not sure if I've if I have come to the final stage or not. I know that many of us lie to ourselves and convince ourselves that we're all right. How can we recognize that final stage once we are there? Mm. Yeah, that's a really great place to start. You know, I think um, this epidemic that is um, sexual abuse, sexual assault, and trauma um, is certainly impacting so many men and women. And when we've gone through an experience like that, whether in childhood or in adulthood, it's, you know, it immediately upsets the apple cart, if you will, right? It kind of throws our lives um, into disorder and disarray. And trying to make sense of that and come back to a place that's more ordered um, and healthy uh, is a process. And, you know, for the past 12 years that I've been working with men and women who have experienced primarily childhood sexual abuse, what I've begun to kind of notice and also by reflecting on my own journey of healing is that there are kind of these stages that we move through. And so I'm going to lay that out in a, a very nice, tight, linear way, okay. <laughs> when we, but we know that healing isn't always linear, <laughs> right. uh, but it's just a way of helping us like a framework, right? So we can kind of wrap our heads around it. Okay. Knowing that sometimes we're, you know, in different places at different times, that we can be in multiple places even as one person. So the first stage is the victim stage. And this stage represents two things. One, you might still be in an environment that's abusive, and you literally are still being victimized. Right. And when we're in an environment where we're experiencing trauma, it's actually very hard, not impossible, but hard to do any healing work um, because we're getting re-triggered and re-traumatized every day. The other thing that this stage represents is the place of denial. So when I was 10 years old and my grandfather began to abuse me, when that was found out by my parents, they were really great about getting him out of our home and um, moving him away from me and tried to get me into counseling, but I was in the denial stage. I was like, mm -mm, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to look at it. Everything's fine, really. You know, everything's okay. And, and I kept that mentality all through my teen years and, and really up until my, my 20s. I was in that place of just really trying to shove this experience to the background and pretend that I was all right. I didn't need any support. It hadn't affected me. And so this victim stage is a place where, you know, so many survivors land because it is a hard thing to face. Yes. Um, and so um, when we reach a certain stage or, or something happens in our lives, for me it was getting into a relationship that ultimately turned out to be abusive as well. But in the early days, he was actually um, an instigator in helping me get the courage to look at that experience. And that's really the bridge to the second stage is acknowledgement. Once we start to acknowledge what has happened and we kind of open that door on these experiences that we've been shoving away, then that helps us step into the second stage, which is the survivor stage. And that is when we are ready to say, yes, these things happened to me and I can acknowledge that they happened, and I want to start to understand what those experiences were and how they've impacted my life. 
so this was kind of my 20s to, let's say, 26, 27 or so, um, when I began to do therapy and I began to read books and I began to go to groups and just really finding safe spaces where I could talk about what had happened. And I was beginning to understand, oh, this is why I don't trust anyone. Oh, this is why I get angry all the time and lash out. Wow, this is why I feel so much anxiety in my day-to-day. So making those connections and understanding the relationship between the past experience and the present-day experience is all happening in that survivor stage. And then eventually, hopefully, we hit a point in that process where we say, okay, I've I've got my head wrapped around this, and I kind of have more of a, a view and an understanding of my experience. Now, what do I want to do about it? And when we hit that moment, the kind of enough is enough. I don't need to think about this. I don't need to ruminate on it. I don't need to analyze it anymore. Now I'm looking for solution. How do I solve for um, the impact of this trauma? And that's when we bridge into the third stage that I call beyond surviving. And, you know, that, that phrase really came out of an experience in my own journey where I was talking about some things that I had been through and the guy I was talking to at that moment said, wow, you know, you've, you've really gone through so much and you've survived. You're such a survivor. And I kind of lost it on him, quite frankly. (laughs) I'm so sick of that. I don't want to be a survivor. I don't want to just survive my life. There has to be something more. There has to be something beyond that. And it just immediately like a soul, like alignment clicked in. It was like, ah, that's what I'm trying to create here. I'm trying to create a dialogue and a conversation about what comes next. And so the Beyond Survivor stage is all about asking that question again and again and again. Okay, so I can't trust people. What do I do about that? Okay, so I have anxiety all the time. What do I do about that? All right, so I get angry and have these outbursts. What do I do about that? And so my role as a sexual abuse recovery coach, which is something I totally made up, by the way, (laughs) it didn't exist. (laughs) Um, But when I was out here doing my master's in counseling psychology and studying neuroscience, I was considering going into therapy, but it just didn't have the spaciousness that I wanted to have to be able to work with clients in the way that I wanted to work. And so... I, I saw, well, there isn't anything like what I want to do, so I guess I'm going to have to make it up. And oh. I did. And, and that's, you know, really the, the process and the work um, that I do every day is about helping, you know, men and women look at the experiences of trauma, but very importantly, understand how it's impacting them in the present day. And then what are the skills and tools that we need in order to really heal and move forward? And so by way of that work, I think of it as completing the stage of recovery. So not, you know, putting an end to growing, not putting an end to discovering things about yourself, certainly not putting an end to life's challenges because that keeps happening. Well, Rachel, (laughs) obviously you're a very, very strong woman because it is true we have to come to a point in in our lives where we decide how we want to live and where we want to be at. I'm Amy Cavill, and you're listening to The Cure. Rachel, please stay with us. I want to invite our listeners to call in and share your experiences of surviving abuse. 866-34-TRUTH. Again, 866-348-7884. We would love to hear from you. We will be right back with Amy Cavill and The Cure. 
So we're in this sports bar, and I look over, and there's four uh, young white males, and they're staring over at our table. They have buzz haircuts, and they're in camouflage gear and boots. Captain Ronald Johnson on Focus on the Family Minute. The waitress comes over, and I said, I need the bill. And she said, someone's paid your bill. So she points over to the corner of the restaurant where the four young men are. <laughs> and she said, the four gentlemen at the table. Wow. With the camouflage on. And so I got up and I walked over and I talked to them. I said, thank you. I said, why'd you pay for my bill? And they said, because we appreciate what you've done for our community. Huh. And so I tell people that story so that we all have this unconscious bias that we have. Sure. And that's not the problem. The problem is what we do with it. Let go of your bias and look at your heart. More at FamilyMinute.org. Life can bring many difficult situations. Domestic violence, addictions, poverty, and even sexual abuse by your loved ones. The issue is not stay there, but to overcome all obstacles and show that with the love of God, your husband, and your family, you can succeed. Love is the answer, God is the cure, reveals Amy Cabo's life. A warrior who didn't give up and achieved the dream of her life. You can get to know more about her and her story on GodIsTheCure.com or buying her book on Amazon.com. The Bible says we're guaranteed trouble in this world, setbacks, heartaches, illness, loneliness, even times of severe testing. So if trials are unavoidable, how should you respond to them? And what, if any, good comes from the struggles you face? Making sense out of suffering. That's John MacArthur's focus this week here on Grace to You. Welcome back to the show. For those that are tuning in, I'm Amy Cabo, and this is The Cure. If this is your first time tuning in, we're talking about surviving abuse, sexual abuse, and we're joined by Rachel Grant. Everybody needs Jesus. So somebody pray for me. Sometimes we are our own enemy, or the enemy has us believing that it's so. Please have us in your prayers. It doesn't matter who you are or what you're going through. Somebody's always praying. And God is always rooting for you. Sometimes it gets hard as we get older. And we do need God more and more in our lives. And Rachel, we were speaking about the last stage. Once you see yourself as a survivor. I know that sexual, long-term sexual abuse can have long-lasting effects. Statistics shows that the victims are four times more likely to develop symptoms of drug abuse, four times more likely to experience PTSD as an adult, and three times more likely to experience a major depressive episode as adults. Can we reduce the incidence of such occurrences? 
what can we um, do yeah. once we are a survivor that I know that we need to be healthy ourselves so that we can help others. But then again, we're faced with these challenges now as an adult. We may have had great coping mechanisms as a child to survive, but it hits us hard once we're an adult. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, for example, the work that Vincent Felitti has done around adverse childhood experiences has helped us um, more deeply understand the impact that trauma has. And for me, I think one of the things that really helped was as I began to think of trauma as an injury to my brain, to my nervous system, and when I began to use that framework, then I began to think about, well, then how do I heal this injury? And there's beautiful research out there that's showing, yes, there are um, absolute um, effects that trauma has on the brain, on the hippocampus, in particular the amygdala, but the brain is also extremely pliable or plastic. And um, we usually think of plastic as a hard thing, but in this case, it's a, a good thing. <laughs> Plasticity means the, the capacity to grow and change. And so with interventions, we can actually retrain the brain. We can heal the nervous system. And a lot of those effects of trauma can be reversed. Um, and some of them outright eliminated. Nice. So it's about early prevention or early treatment once it's occurred. Yeah, I mean, that's the ideal, of course. You know, the sooner that we can, um, you know, obviously prevention is the, the name of the game. If we can actually reduce the occurrence of trauma, then we're going to have, you know, much healthier people. We're going to have a much healthier society and a much healthier world. Um, and if we can enter, if abuse does occur and we can intervene sooner rather than later so that we're working with, you know, a young adult mind or a child mind and um, healing that injury, you know, sooner, then that's going to have great effect. But I've worked with, you know, men and women in their 50s and their 60s, and they have just as much capacity and opportunity to shift and transform their lives and to heal those injuries as, you know, a young person. Um, does it take a little bit more effort? Sure. <laughs> you know, we've had more practice at the negative. <laughs> you know, we've had more practice in our stories and our false beliefs and our patterns. Um, but the beautiful thing about, you know, us as um, human beings is when, you know, when we make a choice and we make up our mind um, and then we get the support that we need to walk that path, we're really capable of really beautiful, miraculous, wonderful things. So there aren't a lot of limitations to what we can achieve um, when we put our mind to it. Yeah, but we have to get to that point where we make that choice. Mm -hmm. I know that it took me a long That's time right. because I had suffered so much. I was convinced I was meant to suffer. I was destined to suffer. Yeah. And I mean, people could have told me, think positive or look at the bright side or mm. God loves you. Mm -hmm. I didn't believe any of it. I didn't believe I was worthy of being loved. Right. I didn't believe I was worthy of being forgiven. My actions were irredeemable. I hated my very existence and helping myself was the last thing on my mind. It just didn't cross my mind. Mm -hmm. It didn't occur to me. I had to be convinced because I didn't love myself. I had to be convinced that I was worthy of being loved. Yeah. And even though I had yeah. suffered for so long, 
I did try to keep close to God as much as possible. I was greatly blessed. And mm -hmm. when I saw how God blessed me, I thought, my husband, my kids, my little doggies, he must love me. He must love Especially me a the whole doggies. lot. Sharia loves the doggies. <laughs> because they really are perfect. I, I love it. I, I, I wouldn't yeah. trade them for anything in the world. Great friends are a great way to heal. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hear you 100%, Amy, that, you know, the what, what it is going to be in each person's life that causes that shift is going to be different. Yes. And I think some people get stuck at that survivor stage and don't step into this next stage, whether you want to call it beyond surviving or thriving or whatever you call it, um, because things feel so familiar and because of those debilitating beliefs, like I'm not worth it or I don't deserve it. And I think, you know, one of the reasons why I started the Healing from Sexual Abuse Facebook group um, was to create a safe space for people to just come and it's like kind of dip your toe in and start to see like what's possible, what's available. And that community is now over 5,000 people um, who are there. And I have a great team of volunteers to support that community as well. And it's just really important if you're feeling, if like you're aware something's not right here in my life, this isn't how I want it to be, but you're feeling really stuck around doing something about it, that's okay. You're not ready for that step yet. You want to focus on earlier steps. And that's one of the reasons why I created um, the three stages of recovery checklist, because not only to help people understand and be aware of the stages, but to understand what are the goals of each of those stages and what are the interventions and types of support that most help because a lot of people will try to jump ahead or they'll try to get support that doesn't really meet them where they're at and then that creates more shame you become more entrenched because it feels like it's not working um and so i think you know finding that whatever little moment it might be i often tell my clients like what is your next smallest step <laughs> so that's sometimes all we can focus on well, right we it, can't think amazing. about the whole long term it's amazing thing. that we can be mm -hmm. there for each other as a support group as a support system it's funny yeah. because i was reading mm -hmm. a book and it says confess your sins to one another wrote saint james and pray for one another that you may be healed the prayer of the righteous man has great power in its effects. Jazz 5.16. It's actually in the Bible. In other words, we're meant to be there for each other. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that, that's the beautiful thing of life. I don't know what I'd do without my husband's love. Oh. Yeah. Oh, agreed. Oh, it's so nice. <laughs> well, it's true. You know, I've had people all along in my journey, some who have set me back, some who didn't know what they were doing and, quite frankly, messed things up more. But many people, mentors, guides, friends, peers, you know, who kept nudging me. And, um, you know, one of my colleagues and I Well, agreed, definitely you know, let's said, get to that because we're coming up on break. Hold on to that thought. Oh, yeah. We'll be right back okay. to that. Because <laughs> they, they do a British... Um, strong cut so but um we have been talking to rachel grant on how to deal with the consequences of sexual abuse please call if you need advice 866-34-TRUTH again that's 866-348-7884 we would love to hear from you you're listening to the Ink to the cure with amy cover we'll be right back We'll be right back with Amy Cavill and The Cure.
Are you sick and tired of feeling broken, unfixable, and burdened by the past? Do you want to let go of the pain of sexual abuse and finally feel normal? I'm Rachel Grant, and I know how it feels to spend years trying to heal and the frustration that comes when it seems nothing you are doing is helping. I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma, and when I was 10 years old, my grandfather began sexually abusing me. I was terrified, confused, thought that I must be doing something to make this happen. When my parents discovered what was happening, they made him leave our home. But the impact of his choice to abuse me didn't leave with him. For the next 20 years, I put my head in the sand and tried to pretend that everything was okay. But this meant that I was walking through the world wounded and angry and lonely. One day in my late 20s, I was talking with a friend about this feeling of being alone and broken and miserable and the suffocating fear that my life was never going to change. Wanting to be encouraging, my friend said, but you're such a survivor. I felt my fist clenching and my stomach dropped and I just burst out, you know what? I don't want to just survive my life. I want to live it. And that's when I knew. I had to find a way off the roller coaster of feeling good one day and miserable the next. I knew I had to learn how to trust people so I could have close, connected relationships. I knew I was no longer satisfied with just understanding why I got angry or feared people leaving me, but I had to find a way to move on, to do something about it. So I set out to discover how I could live a powerful, authentic life free from the burdens and negative patterns of thought and behavior that I had been struggling with for so long. Now my program, Beyond Surviving, is the culmination of everything I have learned through personal experience, completing my master's degree in counseling psychology, and studying neuroscience, or how the brain is continue with Amy Cabo and The Cure. Hi, we're back. Thanks for joining us. I'm Amy Cabo and this is The Cure. You can listen to us every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern on your radio or on our app, The Cure, live on Roku, The Cure channel, or on GodIsTheCure.com or later as a podcast. Sometimes you can feel like you're on fire. Is this paradise? Do we feel right at home? even dream of dying then again we never felt so loved because even in life with its treasurous moments produces amazing memories of true joy even if it lasts a few minutes i have difficult days and still i face daily challenges but i take notice and greatly enjoy the many little moments of of joyful gratitude throughout the day that makes everything all right and the noise then seems so small especially when you never felt so loved by God, it's then that you feel right at home. Rachel, we were mm. earlier speaking about the importance of people in your life. And for me, it was God, because at one point, my husband could have told me I was a wonderful person, and he loved me, and 
I swore he was lying. <laughs> mm -hmm. So what what was it that did it for you and what do you I I mean let's talk about reaching out to others because mm -hmm. it's important yeah. not to be afraid. It is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, what I was going to say just right before the break is, oh, you yes. know, trauma, abuse happens within relationships, and I really believe that healing happens in relationships. And so this is not a solo journey. I don't think anyone is able to accomplish healing on their own. We need guides. We need mentors. And I think... You know, early on for me, um, when I was in my, you know, early 20s, uh, it was really just that moment of being in relationship with someone and seeing, I do not know what the heck I'm doing. <laughs> like, I am a mess. <laughs> I am a mess. And it was just enough to say, I've got to, I've got to try. I've got to take a look at this. And um, then, you know, later in my life, so I started doing that work of the survivor stage talking, naming, understanding. But when I went through a divorce, um, you know, following 10 years of being in an abusive relationship with this person, I was, my life was That's kind of stripped time. down. I was at, in, a, in a new, a long time, and my, you know, 18 to 28. So these really wow. kind of critical years as well, yes. right? So I come out of this relationship as a 28-year-old going, I don't even know what I'm doing with myself, and I'm in a new apartment, all I have is a sleeping bag and a lamp. And I remember just sitting there one night, Amy, and feeling the heaviness of life and not knowing what to do with myself and feeling really stuck and scared. And I just had this really strong voice. And whether we call that voice God, intuition, universe, whatever it was, it was just this immediate moment of like, Rachel, you have got to get your together <laughs> you know nice. and otherwise you are going to spend the rest of your life just surviving being miserable exactly. missing out on things and it was just such a strong like gut check come to jesus moment if you will <laughs> that i was like yeah well okay well and imagine imagine really if you were jesus and you love your children and you want your children to be happy but bad things happen and you just want your children to be strong and to get through it no matter and so then you keep giving the children opportunities to get better to get better you try to make it up mm -hmm. to them and i can imagine that god gets frustrated when it doesn't happen <laughs> and he wants us to be happy yeah. he wants us to survive yeah. he doesn't want to see us sad we're not meant to be sad we're meant to be courageous and strong and happy and and resistant and be able to be able to just deal with anything as long as you have God in your life because yeah, suicide I think that happens because you don't you get desperate isolation yeah that's right that's right and that lack of hope is you know just such a critical thing there were so many part points in my own journey where I felt hopeless where I thought this isn't ever going to change there isn't anything that I can do about this this is just the way it's going to be and so for a lot of people who might be listening that might be where you're at and so actually right. the very first task is claiming hope and finding ways to connect back into that because hope is what spurs us 
to take action. When there's a part of us that says, maybe doesn't believe 100%, but even if we just have a little part of us that says, yeah, maybe, I'm curious, I'm willing to check it out, I'm willing to try, and then we can take that next step and the next thing that gets presented and the next opportunity and stay in connection, stay in communication, and then we build on that, we build on that, and then before we know it, you know, we're in a completely different place in our life. I remember one of my clients when he started the program was like, I know you do this whole bit about relationships. Can we just skip that part? (laughs) I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be single the rest of my life. And he had just become hopeless about love and relationship. And I said, well, let's cross that bridge when we get there. And so we went through the program and we did our work around relationships. And he's now married and has a little boy. You know, so his entire life and, you know, trajectory of his life shifted from the place of coming out of that place of despair and hopelessness, getting skills, getting tools, getting support, and he's gone on to, you know, create a life for himself that he at one point couldn't even have imagined as being possible. And I see that over and over and over again. And that's one of the things that gets me up every morning because this work is hard, you know, holding space and staying in it with people, um, you know, takes something. But when we do that work and we go through that hard work and we get to the other side of it and they, they get to have their lives. And then that has a trickle down effect on the next generation. I get so jazzed about that. I mean, (laughs) you know, and so it's exciting so to see like generational trauma being, you no. know, <laughs> broken. And so, yeah, it gets me up every day. Yeah. When, you, when you're speaking about generational trauma, do you think that the current generation, the newer generation is more susceptible to traumas? Because what we're looking like around us is getting maybe more easy for uh, our youngsters to get traumatized from anything. Hmm, like they're like they have less resiliency. I mean, um, maybe I don't know. Or they're uh, more easily exposed to trauma. Oh no, I think I that they're know. more like uh, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, just I think thought. because of social media and the <laughs> internet, are the parents really looking at what the kids are on oh, in the computer in their social media? Yeah. I mean, we feel guilty that we're spying on our kids, but then again, we mm-hmm. don't know who's on the other side of the. Yeah, well, here's the deal, though. 99%, I think it's something like 95%. I'm going to, like, fudge the statistics a little bit. People listening, please check this statistic. But it's in the range of the 90s of abuse and trauma happen within the home. Yeah, with a close member of the family. It's not, exactly. It's not, oh, some guy on the Internet came and, like, chatted up my child and or woman on the internet for that matter, it's an uncle, it's a cousin, it's a teacher, it's a brother, it's a mother, it's a father. So the dynamics that are happening within, right? So, so that's really where our work is done is to heal families. And, the, the, and that's why generational trauma, like if your mother was abused and never had any support or interventions, the likelihood that that abuse is gonna trickle down, it's not 100% guarantee. But it's very, it's higher likelihood than not that that's some of that's going to get passed down, that repetition of trauma. Mm-hmm. That's why they say there's a genetic component or a, a memory cell that, that, that goes from generation to generation 
But exactly to your point, sometimes the environment doesn't change. Sometimes the education doesn't change so they don't know any better. That's why awareness is so important. A lot of the victims that are children, and I can speak from firsthand experience, have no idea that what's happening is wrong. They confuse it with love. Yes. Especially if the other parent's yeah. not so nice. So yeah. it's, it's, it's a matter yeah, right. of educating because <clears throat> I cannot be an overprotective mother and not let my daughter have a slumber party or go to a slumber party right. or I, I can't be like that. Of course, I have to trust God, but I also have to be responsible and teach her about those mm -hmm. things and let her know what's acceptable and what's not and not to take anything for granted, just to be aware. And sure. Just keep an yeah, open line I think of empowering our children is super important. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I think there are, that parents, I, I hope, um, you know, my instincts are that parents are getting a little more hip to the game and are talking about these issues more. Um, I think there might be segments of the population where that's more the case than not. So we still have plenty of work to do to educate parents and to educate children. But absolutely, the more empowered children are, um, and this is an ongoing conversation. So, you know, parents who are listening, it's not like, oh, I talked to them about that when they were five, and right. they must be okay and, now. Well, they, <laughs> they, like teach, they, teach, they teach sexual education in school. Why can't they teach about the dangers of sexual abuse if they're teaching sexual education? Correct. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Explore more than just the, the you know, the um, physical dynamics of sex, which is what they usually talk about, right? They talk right. about the... When we're back, we will continue talking to Rachel Grant on how to deal with the consequences of sexual abuse. I'm Amy Cabo, and this is The Cure. This is John MacArthur inviting you to join me for Portraits of Grace. One of my seminary professors once told me that the Christian life is simply becoming what you are. Because you are a child of God, you need to live like someone in his family would live. In fact, the root of the Greek word for worthy in the phrase walk worthy refers to equalizing scales. That means there ought to be a perfect harmony between who you are and how you live. And when you don't live as a Christian should live, you fail in your commitment to Christ. Remember, though, that your obedience to God cannot be conformity to rules and regulations based on fear or legalistic pride. Rather, make sure your obedience is conformity to righteousness based on gratitude and a deep love for Christ. This is John MacArthur, trusting your lives are portraits of grace. Life can bring many difficult situations. Domestic violence, addictions, poverty, and even sexual abuse by your loved ones. The issue is not stay there, but to overcome all obstacles and show that with the love of God, your husband, and your family, you can succeed. Love is the answer, God is the cure, reveals Amy Cabo's life. A warrior who didn't give up and achieved the dream of her life. You can get to know more about her and her story on GodIsTheCure.com or buying her book on Amazon.com. 
This week from Dr. Robert Jeffress on Pathway to Victory. How many of you find angels interesting? I mean, we all do. I mean, they're television shows. They're movies about angels. People are interested in angels. And so we're going to look and see what the Bible says in general and what Hebrews says specifically about angels. I'm calling this series, The Truth About Angels. Join us for a fascinating mini-series about angels. All this week on Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Look what God gave her, how perfect he made her. She walks in the room, it's like he answered my prayers. The way that she moves, how could anybody blame her? I know she's got haters, but it ain't her fault, no. Look what God gave her. It's like I heard angels singing like she came down. And now we will continue with Amy Cabo and The Cure. Hi, we're back. Thanks for being with us. I'm Amy Cabo and this is The Cure. We're live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern on the radio on our app, The Cure, live on Roku, The Cure channel, or GodIsTheCure.com. And today we're speaking to Rachel Grant, joined by Boris Nikolov, about surviving sexual abuse. That's my happy song. God gives us all special gifts. I love gifts. that. <laughs> I was jamming up. <laughs> he had a plan for us, even before we were born, and he knew exactly what we needed. And if you really think about it, it's sweet that somebody notices that how perfect God made us. Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. Music is so therapeutic. They really can put you in a good spirit and everything. But for me, what helped me to feel better once I realized God loved me is that I wanted to become the person that God would love. Then that was my aim. But once I saw something on Facebook that this guy had a really negative attitude and we don't know what he went through, but he says he has nothing, nothing to look forward to, nothing good in his life. Mm -hmm. And in walked in an older couple and you can tell they were suffering from cancer. And the guy that was talking to him said, really, you have nothing to be grateful about? So he started thinking mm -hmm. about what he could be grateful about. Because other than that, nothing would help. So he would think, oh, I'm grateful about this. And another little thing he would notice. And then those things would accumulate. And then he started realizing people he needed to make amends with. And things that he needed to do. And then so that one good action led to another, led to another. And... The, cumula the accumulation of his actions made him feel better. That's another idea. Mm. What are you, could yeah, you, you know, give us any suggestions? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you're talking about gratitude right now. In the Beyond Surviving program, in the very first session, we explore the concept of highlights. So it's a little different and distinct from gratitude in that um, gratitude is something that you can kind of feel and experience whether you've um, actually done it in that day or not. So I might feel grateful for my mom, even though I haven't talked to her today. Um, but a highlight is, wow, I had a really great video chat with my mom. And so one of the very first things I ask my clients to do is exactly that, begin a highlights practice. At the end of the day, take notice of a couple of things in your day that you experience that are highlights and quite honestly for some of my clients when they start it's well I got out of bed 
Yes. I brush my teeth, right? <laughs> you know, it can be a big feat, believe it or not. <laughs> it can be a big one. And what's beautiful about that is a couple of things are happening when we do this. So we're actually activating the brain when we express gratitude or a highlight. Um, it actually causes the brain to release feel-good chemicals like the dopamine and the oxytocin. And so we're giving our brain a little good feeling boost, and we're also helping ourselves begin to see the balance. I think one of the things that trauma is always doing is creating tunnel vision. My life is always this. I always feel that. Relationships are always this. Or I didn't do this right, even though I did this great. (laughs) Yeah. So, we, you know, we're always looking at things kind of one-sided. And all of that is true. Like, yes, there are these things that are difficult and hard. And what is also true is we have these other moments in our day-to-day. So that's certainly one of the practices that I start off with my clients. Um, but we really build from there. Uh, a big piece of the work that I do is teaching my clients about the brain and how it's impacted by trauma and the neuroscience of trauma, what actually is going on neurologically so that you can understand, like, it's not your brain, it's the brain. (laughs) You know, I think a lot of us who experience trauma, it's like, oh, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. Everybody else will be fine and heal, but I can't. So we can manipulate uh, our brains to use our experiences towards our benefit? Yeah, 100%. We, we can build new neuronal pathways and prune old ones that hold the old associations. Um, we certainly can learn, <clears throat> excuse me, we can certainly learn interventions that help us to regulate our, the nervous system, come out of places of activation or triggering. You know, most people who experience trauma, the amygdala is just a little bit stuck in the on position. And so that's what causes hyper alert. Um, feelings, um, a lot of anxiety all the time, a hard time focusing or organizing. People will think, oh, there's just, I don't, you know, I, I can't get organized and there's something wrong with me, but it's actually related to a dysregulated brain and nervous system. And as we start to get those things back kind of online and have healthy nervous system regulation, then a lot of those challenges just drop away because your brain's working in the way that we want it to be working um, rather than being um, overactive. And you teach techniques on how to do this, obviously, in your coaching, correct? Yeah. And because I know that when when I don't want to do something a certain way, I said, well, I don't like this about me. I want to be like this. And so it happens. And it depends on, mm. you know, where your mindset is. Um, if you want to be just like everyone else and fall suit or do the, do the extra step, stand out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not only that, yeah. but be there for yourself because I think mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing for a victim slash survivor is that the person they blame most is themselves. So I think it has a lot to do with if you're able to forgive the people that have hurt you, you also have to be able to forgive yourself and have compassion for yourself. Yeah, I think it's a, I often describe the journey of healing as a process of growing up and a process of letting go. 
so learning the things that you didn't get to learn because you were in a, an environment that was traumatizing, so you don't learn how to trust. You don't learn how to have healthy attachments. You don't learn how to set boundaries. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing, quite honestly, is just teaching life skills. What does it mean to trust someone? How do you determine that? Um, how do you communicate clearly and set boundaries? How do you cultivate a, a self-care practice? alongside the trauma healing work, which is all about getting complete about those past experiences so they're not, you know, the, the main thing that I'm always working with my clients around is trying to take this experience of trauma and integrate it so that it becomes a thread that is in a part of the tapestry of your life, but not like the entire thing, and that your focus and your attention can shift out of the past and into your present and your future, and you can create the life that you really want to have. Nice. I mean, if you had told my teen self or even my 20-year-old self that this is the life I was going to live, no <laughs> way! I, like, there's no way I could have even seen it as a possibility, but that is the beauty of life, that we have the opportunity every day to cultivate it, to choose, to decide. And sometimes we need care and support and guidance in doing that because we're not yet able to self-resource. Um, but the good news is there's lots of great resources out there. There's lots of communities, lots of support, certainly way more available today than when I was a kid. And so, I, you know, I feel hopeful about the future, that we're going to continue to grow and create resources and education and, and do what we can to stem the tide of this epidemic. Hey, you know, and for those that the support groups don't don't work or they don't have anybody in their life, it doesn't hurt to pray. You know, God is great support. Yeah. He really is. Because even though you can't see him or you can't talk to him or, I mean, you can talk to him, but you can't hear it back. You see God in little children, in people, in their actions, in their good deeds, in their goodwill, in the love that you feel around. That's all God-inspired. So you could also mm -hmm. turn to prayer if nothing else comes about. <laughs> because yeah. I have, I, I know that one point in my life I was by myself. I had no one, absolutely no one, mm -hmm. just a little girl to take care yeah. of. So yeah. I know what it's like no, to you only on have God. <laughs> Yeah, Which for I'm grateful sure. For that, we have by to the have way. Those, those anchors. Absolutely, you know, whatever can hold us and help stem the tide of you know overwhelm and fear and hopelessness is important. You know, and um, certainly faith and spirituality can be a really strong tool. You know, my walk with God has been one that we would need another conversation for. <laughs> but, you know. I really don't know of anyone as successful as, let's say, for example, you or the guests that I've had that haven't called upon God. I really don't. Everybody has great yeah. ideas and great things to bring to the table and great techniques that every single one of them, I've asked them, at one point, they called upon God. Yeah, I think for me that that was a critical time when I was going through my divorce. I was very much in the church at that time, and um, certainly prayer and that church community went a long way. I, you know, I kind of land in the world of agnostic these days. I find myself connected to a belief of spirituality and universal truth, 
and that there's something going on that's bigger than us. Yes. And I find that helpful because there are just, you know, there are so many moments um, in life that are, you know, I, I do think I have divine appointments and people come to me exactly when they're meant to. And um, I get to be their guide and their mentor and walk alongside them in this journey. And, and that's something that I never take for granted because it's a big deal it's to say honor. yes to something like that. God does yeah. use people. God uses people. Thank you, Rachel, so much for being with us. Mm -hmm. We've come to the uh, end. It's been my joy. Thank you, Amy. And God bless you. More information you. on Rachel Grant and her work can be found on GodIsTheCure.com under guests. This has been a pleasure, Rachel. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take really good care. Thank you for having me. You too. Let's pray. It's an Archangel Uriel prayer. O Holy Saint Uriel, intercede for us that our hearts may burn with the fire of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Assist us in cooperating with the graces of our confirmation that the gifts of the Holy Spirit may bear much fruit in our souls. Obtain for us the grace to use the sword of truth to pare away all that is not in conformity to the most adorable will of God in our lives, that we may fully participate in the army of the church militant. Amen. If you really think about it, unconditional love, it all boils down to forgiveness. Because love is patient and kind. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 7. This is Amy Cavill. You have been listening to The Cure. Have a great weekend. Until next Saturday. or to get Amy's book, Love is the Answer, God is the Cure, or to listen to the podcast of previous shows, visit GodIsTheCure.com. That's you, Dr.